Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital. We're a registered investment advisory firm committed to helping clients grow and manage generational wealth. We do this by focusing on integrity, competency, and transparency each and every day. No matter where you find yourself on the investing journey, our hope is that these conversations, stories, and interviews can empower and equip all investors with fresh insight and perspective on the capital markets. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Well, it is great to be with you today. I hope you are all having a wonderful start to the new year. Today, I'm joined by Zach Reynolds and Stacey Murray as we sit down to have another squared away conversation. There's just a few things we can talk about coming off the year we had in 2022. So I'm thrilled to have these two join me today. Uh, We're going to cover a variety of topics, but try to give a nice review of 2022 and then a good outlook of 2023. So as always, I hope you enjoy. Stacey, Zach, thank you for joining me today down here in the studio. It's great to be with you guys. Our pleasure. Absolutely. Let's do a quick overview of where we stand today, January of 2023, with really everything, rates, inflation, earnings, valuations. Uh, Let's take just a quick second and kind of give everybody an idea of of where we are and maybe what we see in the next couple of months uh, as far as market-related items. So, Sure. So 2022 was a difficult year in the markets. Stocks were down. S&P was down about 18%, including dividends. If you look at other parts of the stock market, small cap, mid cap stocks, international stocks, really across the board, you had double digit declines. That's unusual, but not crazily so to have uh, stocks in a bear market it does happen every you know six years or so. What really made 2022 a challenge for most investors was bonds had their worst year really ever. Okay. The Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index, which is kind of the, the best known broad benchmark for bonds was down 13% in 2022. Its worst previous annual return was 1994 when it fell 2.9%. We would have taken 2.9%. Yeah, down 2.9% would have been great last year. So just the combination of both stocks being down double digits, bonds being down double digits left, really investors across the spectrum, whether you were very conservative or very aggressive, down double digits. So it it was a tough year and for wealth managers like us, it was a tough year for us too. We align ourselves with our clients in terms of our fees. So our fees go down when our clients' market values go down. So we certainly felt some of that pain too. I think there are a, a lot of positives that we'll get into a little bit later. But yeah, we definitely acknowledge yeah. last year was was a tough year. Kind of thinking about where we are today, interest rates are much higher. That's one of the reasons that bonds perform poorly as interest rates come up bond prices go down. A big reason for the increase in interest rates last year was higher inflation rates. Right. You saw the Fed raise rates very dramatically last year. One of the big questions this year, is, as Stacy knows, is what's the Fed going to do next? As we kind of look ahead, we've got a Fed meeting coming up. Market right now is pricing in either a 25 basis point or a 50 basis point. So half a percent or a quarter percent increase in interest rates. Would that be a pause or a reduction in the amount they're increasing? Right, exactly. Okay. So uh, they have been raising rates more aggressively than that. This would be a step down potentially. But we'll see. And and one of the reasons why the Fed may be slowing the pace of its interest rate increases is that CPI numbers have come down. So the consumer price index has actually fallen five months in a row now. Okay. That's really good news. That's why the Fed is raising rates. They want to tamp down inflation. Inflation is still uncomfortably high, though. It's still over 7%. We're recording this right before we get December's 
inflation number. So it's possible that sure. inflation has dropped below 7%, but it's still well above the Fed's target of 2%. So they would like to increase rates and potentially hold them higher until they are very confident that inflation is going to come back down more to a sustainable level. Yeah. The only thing I would add too, I mean, I think Zach, very great job overview of what you were saying. The one thing I would add is also with cash, right? When you have inflation so high, cash was not even a place to hide. I mean, if you're holding on to cash, you were 8% in June, July when inflation was skyrocketing. So 2022 was really an interesting year where there was nowhere to hide for investors. And it was, let's weather this storm and get through it. And cheers to 2023. That's right. Let's turn the page. As we kind of get into reviewing 2022 for our listeners, I think it's important to remember or to remind everybody that I know you guys have already done it, but these years happen and these little resets and it's not little when you feel it, but these little resets are healthy for the market. So let's kind of get into reviewing 2022 and then again, hitting on the earnings and how it can be beneficial for earnings or what we think earnings will do and then how it's beneficial from a valuation perspective as well. And you've already hit on that rates are going up or have gone up, which has been a benefit now for bond buyers, if you will. Yeah, so fixed income let's look back a little bit on, on 2022. You've already mentioned how much the market was down, but let's dive in a little bit more. Yeah, I think it might be helpful to step back even a little bit further. So think about what happened for the decade after the global financial crisis of 2008, 2009. The Fed took rates down to zero, raised them a little bit over that decade, and then we had COVID and then we went back down to zero. And not only did the Fed take rates to zero, but just pumped massive amounts of money into the economy, both the Fed and, and Congress, particularly during COVID. So the net effect of, of all that money creation was that asset values went up. So whether it was stocks, bonds, real estate, really cryptocurrency, right. NFTs, yeah. really the junkier the asset, the more they went up in value. Where that left us as we you know ended the year in 2021 was you had bonds at some of the lowest interest rates in history. You had stocks at very high valuations and you had a decade of, I think the S&P did 15% annualized for the decade running into the end of 2021. All of that was great. Investors made real money over that decade, but, and we've, we talked about this at length going into 2022, it was a very difficult setup for asset returns going forward. So Tyler, to your point, 2022 saw valuations come down quite a bit and saw interest rates go up that hurt returns in 2022. An interesting kind of fact about 2022, though, when you think about stocks, earnings actually went up in 2022. We don't quite have fourth quarter earnings yet, but it's almost certain that earnings in 2022, if you add up all the S&P 500 company earnings, were higher last year than they were in 2021. The market went down 18%. So what this tells us is valuations are lower today than they were before. That's a good thing for investors. That means you're paying less today for a dollar of earnings than you were a year ago and and significantly so. So that gives us some hope looking forward that forward returns could be better than they were. And then on the fixed income side, so when we're talking about bond returns, your return when you invest in a bond is highly correlated to your starting interest rate. So if you think back at the end of 2021, uh, you had rates around 2%. So your expectation as an investor you're going to earn about 2%. Today, we're seeing rates, depending on where you are on the interest rate curve, 4%, 5% if you're going to take some credit risk in corporate bonds, maybe 6%. Right. That's a significant increase, a doubling or tripling of the, the expected rate of return for bonds. And it takes a lot of weight off your equity portfolio, which we had multiple conversations for the past 
three or four years of, and Stacey, I know you had these conversations with the clients. If we got to increase the equities to try to attain that 8% targeted rate of return. So to Zach's point, this reset long-term is very helpful in that setting. Absolutely. I had started talking with my clients in 2021, just saying kind of getting them prepared of, we're going to have to revert back to mean. And what I mean on that is 2020, even with the COVID impact, you know, with what we had in March and April and then into 2021, returns had been great. They'd been really high. And if you go back to what the stock market has done since inception, evidence-based, look at it, average market return is 10% on average. We were having way higher than that. I don't care kind of what portfolio you were in. It was Mm. definitely higher than that. And so I was kind of starting to talk the conversation with my clients as it's got to revert back to mean. We are going to have a year and hopefully it's just a year where we're going to have to have a negative performance or something a lot lower to bring us back into perspective, which is what Zach is saying ultimately of bringing kind of the value back down to where it needs to be. And so that's yeah. kind of one of the things that I see as the silver lining is we kind of, especially talking with Zach of if you have money, if you have cash, you had been scared. Now's a great time to start putting it back into the market because you should be investing for the long term and not a point of time. Right. That's an interesting point too, Stacey. When you think about how dramatically valuations changed last year, there were really a couple ways. And we talked about this internally. Again, going back to the end of 21, you could have had a decade of, you know, low equity market returns and maybe you averaged three or 4%. And there were certainly some firms out there calling for that. Or you could have one big, Big sharp, painful event that brings valuations back down and maybe lets you expect closer to that long run 10% stock market average. And I think that's what we kind of got in 2022. It's really hard to predict what stock market valuations will do over a short period of time. So we're around 18 times earnings, depending on if you're looking at, you know, forward estimates or trailing estimates. Market averages. It depends on when you look. So the last 10 years, we're a little, maybe half a turn lower than the market average, so about 18 and a half. If you go back over longer time periods, you know, you can say 15 or 16 times. So depending on what you argue that multiple should be, we're either about fairly valued or a little bit overvalued. So who knows? And if market valuations continue to come down, that's going to weigh on stock market returns. It's entirely possible. But remember, the stock market could also trade at 22 times earnings, which we saw in 2021. It can trade up to the high 20s. We saw that during the tech boom. So the lower we get, the more potential upside for valuations that you have. And and that's when you can get those really high returns that are above that 10% average. And I think the biggest kind of reset you saw, and we can talk about it now or a little bit later, is with, you know, the FANG stocks, right? The tech stocks. Nope, that's where I wanted to go next is it, you've got these big stocks yep. or these super tech stocks, basically, that really help pump up the market. And what's happening with them is they are so debt heavy, right? And so with these interest rates that are starting to increase and have been increasing, that's been the impact that we see. And that's why you're hearing in the news right now and all these corporate layoffs coming with Amazon and Facebook. And it's really kind of the tech side. But really 2022 was a great time to show our clients and really just to truly say, the way you should invest is to be highly disciplined because who would have guessed last year would be the year for energy to turn around and have a 60 some percent return. But to bring it to Zach's point where it was trading at on, you know, multiplier, it was not there, but it had lagged. It had lagged the last five years and everybody was focused on the FANG stocks. And I think there's a new acronym out there on it and you probably know what it is, but there's, you know, all these new acronyms related to tech. And last year was an 
and being in Oklahoma, I mean, it was great for, you know, oil and gas to finally like have a banner year. But if you go back and look at the prior five years, it had been lagging. And so that's where I think no matter where you go, where you move, being highly disciplined and diversified is going to be your best strategy for the long haul. So last year, Zach, you put the stat in our market update, nine of the 11 S&P 500 sectors uh, were in the red. And again, based on how we manage money, we take a sector approach, but you could translate that across style boxes. If you're a style box investor, you could translate it against across the really any style. So there really was nowhere to hide. And Stacey, you already brought up the FANG stocks, like they took it on the chin. Yeah. And the sectors that performed the worst were the largest sectors. So technology had grown to over a quarter of the total market weight of the S&P 500. It was, it was actually, it was closer to 30%. We're back to about 25% today. Obviously, if you have tech stocks underperform and they're a fourth of the index, you're going to have index uh, returns that are, are quite poor. On the flip side, as Stacy noted, energy's up 65%, but going into 2022, energy was one of the smallest three sectors of the S&P 500. That's changed a little bit. Energy's up over about 5% at this point of the S&P 500, but it's still not one of the biggest sectors. So it didn't help as much because it was such a small weight in the index. We have a year like 2022, which I think we all agree really across the firm that not an anomaly, there's nothing wrong with it. It's it's a healthy market when we have these. Probably the unhealthy side was having those high double digit returns for so long. I wanted to get some opinions from both of you from the investment team, investment management side, and then from the from the client facing side. What are a few things that a market like that presented us some opportunities we could do with clients? What are some opportunities we're continuing to put in front of clients as we go into 2023? Because it's not like everything's just all of a sudden back to being being great. There's still a lot of uncertainty out there. What are earnings going to do? Are we going to go into a recession? You know, there's still all those unanswered questions. So let's hit on a couple things that we did as a firm where you can take advantage of some of these markets. I can start with that one and then I'll kind of pass it over to Zach. My first one I want to talk about is Roth conversions. Definitely there was a silver lining. So Roth conversions, we're talking about if you had qualified money sitting in a pre-tax account, so like a traditional IRA through your 401ks, maybe you previously had, or just a traditional bucket that you had started outside with an IRA account. Looking at with the market being down, sometimes 20%, we, um, and we have a lot of clients that were sitting on cash, back to the point of COVID and kind of a surplus of just capital infusion coming in. We had some clients sitting there and they're like, do we want to put it in the market? They weren't really wanting to put it in the market. We said, let's do a Roth conversion. Take the taxes now, pay it. You're locking in what your taxes are going to be. But what will happen is going forward by doing that Roth conversion, everything then grows tax free. So hopefully in 2023 and when the rebound starts to occur, all that will occur in an after tax vehicle. So that's kind of the high notes of it. But Roth conversions, still analyzing it. Some of my clients were going to be in a higher tax bracket for 2022. First week of January, we started meeting with our CPAs to say, what about 2023? And we may have accelerated some income into 2022. So make sure you're looking at that planning side with Roth conversions. And another great reason to think about that today, if you convert a Roth, I mean, market values are still down quite a bit. And you've got until now, April of 2024, to actually pay those taxes. Correct. So you've got all that time uh, to hold on to some of that cash, invest it. Money market yields are higher. Exactly. So, (laughs) So I totally agree. I think that's a great opportunity. And then I think the other one that will kind of segue into what Zach's team's done, because I can't, it's not just the client side, it's really been the investment side, but just to kind of hit on it from like the client side is tax loss harvesting. Yep. Tax loss harvesting has to occur in taxable accounts. And it's the silver lining of being your investments being in ETFs, exchange traded funds. 
And really, we've talked about it before. I don't want to bore everybody. But to our point, when tech is down, we're going to go in and sell the tech sector. We're going to stay in the market. We're going to sell, say we're owning the Vanguard tech sector, and we're going to go around and buy the spider sector of technology. We've been able to realize that capital loss on paper, on paper for tax reasons, keeping that client in the market so when the rebound does occur, they're still staying in, they're not out 30 days. So we've talked about it a lot, but we can't do that without our investment team. They they are amazing. I will say we don't just do it in December, which you'll see some others that just kind of wait around and say, oh, let's, let's harvest some losses. Our investment team was coming to us in February as soon as we started seeing it because we had had such a great rally. They were ready to go. And so they were able to generate huge savings for our clients that will be seen probably for years to come on some of my clients' portfolios, depending on when they put money to work. And that's all attributable to Zach's team and what they're doing behind the scenes. Yeah. Like Stacey said, it's it's the silver lining of having market value declines. If we don't take advantage of realizing some of those losses, we know over time markets go up and they're going to go away. So the great benefit is you can take $3,000 of that capital loss each year, offset ordinary income, and then carry forward the rest that you don't use against capital gains in the year they're realized. So we've spent a lot of time certainly doing that work and then also working with our clients and their uh, tax advisors to kind of explain why we did it and the benefits of tax loss harvesting. So yeah, uh, to Stacy's point, I, we definitely have some clients who will not pay capital gains for years and years into the future. We actually had a couple clients we were working with very closely on that had outside liquidity events on some of their um, real estate properties. Real estate's an all-time high too. I mean, we, we haven't talked about that sector, but real estate has had really good performance. So we have some clients taking the risk off the table, going ahead and kind of cashing out there. And we were able to help them with the sales that they're going to have on capital gains to be able to offset that, to reduce that tax liability. But that was working with the investment side. Yeah, that's a great example of something that had we not realized those losses, they're going to end up paying that capital gain from an outside investment sale. And, you know, we were able to immediately save them money. So it's a powerful tool. You've got to be proactive within your portfolio. And that's something certainly my team spends a lot of time on each and every day. And a quick reminder, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but the big difference that I see between investors that are purchasing ETFs compared to those that are buying mutual funds, those mutual funds, I saw a report from a company that will remain unnamed. They were reporting the capital gain percentage that's going to be passed on to investors last year mm-hmm. when everything's down yep. because they're selling positions at a, at a premium. And, and so the worst thing you can do is, one, not take advantage of tax loss harvesting, but even worse than that is own a mutual fund that's passing on capital gains in a year when that mutual fund's down 12 13, 15%. And you may not have sold anything, right? That's exactly right. right. You may have a loss in that mutual fund and end up paying a big capital gain. Mm -hmm. So just an FYI, I just think that's something that's, you know, again, our our goal is to help educate and equip investors. And so that's a massive, massive tool that can be used when used correctly, uh, when we're using, especially the way we use ETFs. I think the debate about which fund structure is best is, is largely settled. I think ETFs, due to their low cost and tax efficiency, continue to gain market share versus mutual funds. And I saw in Bloomberg yesterday, I believe it was, that within five years, Bloomberg expects ETF assets to be larger than mutual fund assets, which is pretty remarkable when you think about the amount of money in 401k plans, which is almost exclusively in mutual funds. So yep. for you know wealth managers, for people with taxable accounts, ETFs are just almost always going to be uh, a more tax efficient way to go. Yeah. And again, caveat is 
the issues that we're talking about or the benefit of having that tax loss harvesting, that's all in taxable accounts. Correct. Um, yep. Don't want to throw anybody, yep. you know, for a loop here. This isn't, and isn't something don't tax loss harvested yeah. your uh, IRA or <laughs> yeah, 401k. Do You're not going to get much benefit. <laughs> a couple other things we did that I thought would be interesting to discuss was clients that have floating rate debt. What we did there, and Stacy, I think you did. You know, you did a lot of this as far as working with your clients that were that had that debt out there. And then Zach, one thing I'd like you to speak on is just how we're maximizing yield, what we're doing in the alternative space still uh, moving forward. So maybe debt, Stacy, if you want to start with the debt. Yeah. And what we've done there. I mean, there were so many different scenarios that we kind of faced. I think a lot of business owners had been locked in with variable rates and variable rates had been great in 20, you know, prior to 2022 and what the Fed started doing. So when we started kind of seeing what the Fed was going to start going to increase those rates, we started working with just kind of local bankers here in Oklahoma City saying, can we get those clients into some fixed rates? We also looked at some business owners that maybe thanks to PPP and other advances that they had gotten, we looked at paying some of that debt off. And that was, you know, it was kind of a win for the client, especially with where interest rates were going and actually ended up going. So if you are sitting on some cash, maybe look into paying off some of that fixed income debt that you have on your books, just to see if that makes sense. But that was really kind of what we did. Um, And then we either paid the cash to pay it off, or we looked at locking it in. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I just thought that was something that just a little one off that uh, another good conversation. So this is actually something you've hit on a lot and helped really all of us kind of understand is just the maximizing the yield, the benefit we've seen, kind of everything we just talked yep. about, the worst case of 2022, but what, what that's played into from a yield perspective now. Yeah. So that, you know, we're talking about silver linings a lot, but uh, the Fed raising rates means that money market rates have come up dramatically. U.S. Treasury bills, short-term uh, treasury investments, CDs, all of those rates are much higher today. Now, to Stacy's point earlier, when you've got 8 or 9% inflation and 4% money market yields, you're still losing purchasing power. So it feels better to see that money grow, but there's still an, an opportunity cost there uh, versus something that might outperform inflation. But, you know, it's our job to take the assets we have and maximize the return on those assets. So we've been very aggressive at looking at making sure that we're getting the, the highest possible money market rate for our clients. What has been really interesting is when you look at, you know, national average for bank savings accounts, you're still talking about less than 1%, you know, I've seen, I wonder why that is. Why, why are the banks having trouble keeping up? Well, so if you think about what banks have kind of suffered through the last 10 years, they were not earning any money when they put their deposits with the Fed because the Fed took rates to zero. Their loan rates were much lower because the Fed yeah. took rates down. So they just haven't been able to earn that net interest margin that banks tend to make their money on. So it's not really surprising that banks are being very slow to increase their their rates. They're trying to earn some profit yeah. because they can lend at much higher rates and they just don't want to pay their depositors as much. But if you're a depositor, you have to recognize that, you know, if you're earning half a percent instead of 4% and inflation's at eight, you're losing a lot of money in real purchasing terms. So it's really important to try to maximize your savings rate. And again, we're talking about very safe money market funds. What we have seen is a lot of people look at their bank savings or checking account yields, compare that to doing something like buying a CD, a treasury bond, things that are fully backed by the FDIC or full faith and credit of the United States government. Still got some liquidity in there. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Or a money market fund that's fully liquid. The yield differential is just so substantial that it, it makes sense to move some of that cash into higher yielding investments. And, and we've certainly encouraged clients to do that. 
the other thing you mentioned, Tyler, was alternative investments. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alternatives are something we've talked about on this podcast several times and going back several years now. Part of that discussion was driven by the expectation that market returns will be lower. And unfortunately, we were correct about that. And, and it happened more dramatically and, sure. and quicker than we even expected. The good news there is to the extent that we have clients who qualify for those alternative investments. And it's important to note that you have to have significant size, time horizon, risk tolerance to invest in alternative investments, things like private credit, private real estate, private equity. But to the extent that we have those clients and they've participated, private investments have held up better and they did create value in 2022 relative to public markets. We continue to believe there's a really good case really for all of those different asset classes. I've talked about this on here before, but the world has changed. The stock market has changed. There are fewer publicly traded stocks today than there were 20 years ago. Right. Stocks are going public at larger valuations later in their life. And the net effect of that is a lot of public market investors aren't getting the benefit from the growth in those stocks. That benefit is accruing to venture capital and private equity investors. So that alone is, I think, a pretty good case in favor of considering private equity as an asset class. Again, want to caveat that if you invest in private equity, you're going to lock your money up for 10 years and you're taking more risk. And it's yeah, important. It's, that, it's the risk it, premium, right? That's right. Well, yeah. and the thing I'm very careful with our clients to make sure that we disclose is it's all about diversification. And we're not saying we're going to, you know, swing the pendulum all the way now to private. We're saying add, you know, 10%, I think is kind of our internal metric we're looking at and maybe increasing it at some point. But right now we're saying small amounts, but let's diversify you from just the public market and add some of the private exposure. And let's do that in different tranches of private equity, private, you know, alternative investments. So you're not all in on one opportunity. That's a great point, Stacey. Liquidity is valuable. And there's a reason why the majority of our portfolios are invested in public market securities, because they are liquid. We can get that money out to our clients in a couple of days if we need to. So, and that that's important as we think about people with retirement needs or, you know, yeah, life happens. I mean, I think we're, we're talking you know, silver linings here of some of the things we've done. And, and that doesn't apply to every single client. We weren't able to tax Austin every single account because all we had was a retirement account. Right. We're not able to put alternatives in every single account because it doesn't make sense. We can't put an 85-year-old client who qualifies from a wealth standpoint, but doesn't qualify from a timeline standpoint. Right. So I, I do think it's important to, rem- to remind everybody that our goal is to, we, we still are capital market believers and we're just going to do things along the way that are going to, you know, add as much value as we can to the client. So as we wrap up here, I want to look ahead into the rest of this year, 2023. I think we've already established we're not calling for some incredible rosy year by any means. But as you both look ahead, what are a couple of things that you are seeing as another added benefit? What are some things that you think will play into a, whether or not we have a positive year or a down year? I mean, coming off the year we had, what does the year following that typically look like? Yeah, that's a great question. One thing that strikes me is that sentiment is quite negative. Uh, I have yet to talk to a client who expects stocks to do great this year. Um, and even when you look at Wall Street analyst strategists, they're as, about as bearish as, as they ever are. All of those things make it easier for market news to surprise to the upside. And in fact, as we're recording this, Stocks are off to a really good start this year. Something that I've been talking about for years and that has been a a frustration, honestly, is, you know, international stocks have underperformed for years and years. Well, international stocks are up about two or three X the S&P 500 this year. So Mm. we're starting to see areas of the market that have just really been beaten up, outperform, and that's 
for people, as Stacy was saying earlier, who people like us who have remained disciplined, who have stuck to that diversification with the belief that over time, if we take a long-term view, we'll get rewarded for staying the course. You know, it's early in the year, but we are already seeing some of that. So I think that's very positive. From a, you know, market history standpoint, the S&P 500 has only had four times since 1928 where it's had consecutive negative calendar returns. Again, not to say it couldn't happen this year. We could be down this year. It's happened before. (laughs) It could be the fifth time. We don't know. But, you know, it gives you a little bit of confidence that it's it's maybe less likely. And then, again, where I'm most confident of all and where I feel best as a a person who allocates assets for a living, I know I'm going to get better returns from bonds, much, much better returns from bonds as I invest money today than I was a year ago. So that does... Stacy, to your point earlier, just make hitting those target returns. And at the end of the day, you know, if someone comes to us with a pile of money and they want to make it last for their lifetime, they have college savings goals, they have retirement goals. We need to hit a, a, a certain return to make those goals a reality. It makes our job much easier if we can get real returns from bonds. And, and we're back into a scenario where that, that can happen. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I think definitely as you move into 2023, reassess your asset allocation. You should be doing it. I mean, if there's a major event, any different changes in your lifestyle, but with going into 2023, definitely look at your asset allocation, be sitting down with your wealth manager to say, does it make sense? Should I take some risk off the table now with where fixed income is? And let's let's move a little bit of the portfolio into fixed income and reduce our equity exposure. I'd say the other thing kind of non-related to just like investment advice is if you're a business owner, really think about that bonus depreciation. That's going to sunset here in the next five years. So last year, what bonus depreciation was, you're a business owner, you bought a new truck or you put a new piece of equipment into place, a machinery, you use that cash that you've gotten from the government or, you know, some type of funding on that. You put it into place, you were able to accelerate the depreciation 100%. That sunset, December 31st of 2022. But going forward for 2023, it's still 80%. And that's going to phase out over 20% increments. So by the end of 2026, that phase out of bonus depreciation will be completely gone. So that's something to kind of look from from like a tax perspective. Sure. The other thing too, the visual I'm kind of trying to give my clients is, I mean, if I knew where the market was going to go, I would be in Vegas <laughs> right now. I promise you, I would not be sitting in this podcast room. Not that I don't love cool. working with you uh-huh. guys. I okay. mean, but yes, I would, I would be all red or all black. The one thing I think that as me, as a wealth manager, as well as my clients, even my husband trying to control his emotions during 2022, (laughs) everybody wants to focus on what the media is doing. And I kind of call it like the yo-yo effect type thing. And if you picture this gentleman holding a yo-yo walking up a gradual hill, you're going to see the market, the media, everybody wants to focus on that yo-yo because it's way more exciting going up and down, up and down. And that's where you're turning on the TV and seeing, is it a red day? Is it a green day? I get phone calls from my dad saying, hey, I've lost this much today. And (laughs) if you can really, though, step back and watch the gentleman walking up this gradual hill, even though he has this cool yo-yo, watch him going where he's going. And I think that's where we do believe in the market. And we believe that we are going to get out of this. And there is, that's why I said cheers to 2023. Like, let's move forward. Let's see where we can take this. High hopes that we have a great year, but focus on that walking up that gradual hill versus the yo-yo. It's a really good analogy for thinking about volatility and putting it in perspective. And, you know, the way I've heard other people talk about it is if you if you open your statement once per year and you just write down that dot plot and plot it over time, you're going to have a pretty steady upward motion. But if you look at your account every single day, you're going to see, yeah. a, you know, it's going to look like one of those echocardiograms that's right. moving all around <laughs> or lie detector test. If it's you're going to match your heartbeat exactly. going forward. Yeah. I like <laughs> no, that. No, that's a, that's a great visual. 
Uh, no doubt. And uh, again, I appreciate you both. I think from my seat, it's just important that I think we continue to get our voice out there to really help reassure everybody. This won't be the last 2022 no. we see. And I know some people feel like it, it wasn't the first time we saw right. a market like that. We gotten spoiled. Yeah. I mean, it, really. Yeah. And again, there's, there's one-offs like the bond market was the worst since whatever you said, Zach, ni- the 1970s, like that's going to happen every now and then. But again, what we preach is we're going to continue to remain disciplined. We're going to continue to focus on our goals and have a good plan in place. So anything else you missed? Anything you guys want to add as we sign off here? I'm a Stacy. Cheers to 2023. Agreed. <laughs> I appreciate you both. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's conversation, don't forget to review and subscribe to your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week. All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.